hey, we want to be a church that invites others. Hey, when's the last time you invited somebody to church? Isn't it time that you took a risk, took a step, and reached out with the love of Christ? We want everyone to have a church on Easter, right? So go ahead and invite some people to church, uh, and let's do that this week. Also, right after this service, we have a phase two update. So if you didn't stay last week, make sure you stay today for just like 15 minutes. We'll give you a quick update on phase two. We'll give you an update on the project and an update on how you can participate. If you're already pledging and you're giving to the program, we want you to know how it's going. If you haven't yet found out about the project, we're all going to benefit from these improvements. So we'd love you to know what we're doing and how you can engage in that project with us. So stay for just 15 minutes today and I'll give you the update then. All right, so here we are in the series nail it down. We're going through the book of Romans, verse by verse. We've arrived at Romans chapter 8, verse 12. The apostle Paul is the author. He's helping us to know how we can live the life that God has for us. The question we're answering last week, this week, is this. How can I live with security and walk in victory over sin? I'll say that again. How can I live in security and walk in victory over sin. Don't you want to live with security? Don't you want to walk in victory? This is what we are learning in the book of Romans. In Galatians 5.25, the same author, the apostle Paul, said this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So he wants us to have life by God's Spirit, and he wants us to learn how to walk because we now have new life. It really is about how God gives us new life and then he wants us to walk differently in this new life. So it was a big weekend for the Hall family. We got new carpet. How many of you have gotten new carpet recently and you regret it? It's a lot of work. I grew up watching the Empire commercials. You remember the Empire guy? Their, their motto was carpet next day, payment next year. But in the commercial, the Empire guy walks in with a roll of carpet and goes like this. And all the furniture jumps up and then the carpet's just done. That's not how it works in real life. Well, you have to get everything out of every room. And there's no such thing as being kind of ready for carpet. The guy called me the day before and he's like, are you ready? And either you're ready or you're not. Because they're putting new flooring everywhere. And you've got to get everything out. And then what's even worse is when he's done, you've got to put it all back. That's even harder because you're exhausted getting everything out of the room. So the carpet guy came and he, starts, and he starts tearing up the carpet. Now, we bought this house several years ago. We weren't the original owners. And this carpet, like some of it I think may have been original to the house because there was like orange shag in Jared's bedroom. And he started pulling this up and he's like, wow, this is dirty. And we're like, yeah, we know. That's why we're getting new carpet. And he had to pull it up and bring it out. And, and, then, and then when he got the new carpet down... Everyone was like, oh, it's amazing. It smelled new. It felt new. And once we had the new carpet, guess what? New rules, right? <laughs> Take your shoes off. No eating downstairs. Why? Because we know the cost. We know the headache. And the last thing we want is to have to get new carpet again in a year because we didn't take good care of it. Now, I had this epiphany when it comes to carpet I think we can imagine getting saved, salvation, in this way. It's like, it's like inside of you, there's just filth and dirt and stains, and, and it's old, and, and it's all got to go. I mean, God has to get it all of your sin out. 
Then he comes in and he puts new, fresh, clean, luxury material where the sin used to be. And once you realize what he did and how much it cost him, your behavior changes because he's done something for you that you could never do. Right? New rules because of what he's done to give you this new start. I, I was curious, and so I looked up what the most expensive carpet in the world is for this, for this illustration. And, and uh, do you know that there's some rugs, some old Persian collector's rugs that sell for $173,000 per square foot? Per, per square foot. Okay, I couldn't even afford a square inch of that stuff, right? Here's a picture of one of the most expensive Persian carpets, and you could just see, like, by hand, how they had to dye it and how they had to, you know, the artistry that went into figuring out where it went. Now, all right, so just for this, to continue on with this illustration, imagine if what God did for you compared to a house is your old smelly shag filthy is gone, and you come home, and he's got the most expensive, luxurious, Persian, silk, custom carpet through the whole house. And you walk in and you're like, you're going to live differently. You're going to walk differently on that carpet. Kids, shoes off. Dog, we're getting rid of you. Like, everything changes. <laughs> everything changes. Because God did something clean and priceless and powerful, and right? Right? Anyway, that whole carpet illustration can really help us understand what God is transforming in you. He's done something so new and pure and costly in you, it should change the way you walk, right? So let's pray, and then we will learn from God's word how we can live a transformed life based on the new life God has given us. Father, we're so grateful that you would take out all the old, ugly sins that are inside of us and replace it with with what is priceless. Thank you that you would give us your Holy Spirit, a clean heart. Thank you that you would put down in us a new foundation, and it cost you so much. Based on that, help us to change how we walk. And we pray that you would show us in your word how that can happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we are in Romans chapter 8, verse 12. And this is like, we're going through this section here. There's a lot you missed. If you want to catch the sermons on the, either our app or our website, you can catch up. The Apostle Paul is talking about life in the Spirit based on what Christ did for us on the cross. So here in chapter 8, verse 12, he says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here's the introductory thought. How do I live the Spirit-led life? Number one, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. What is the Spirit? Well, this refers to God's Holy Spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity. Careful here, it's a person. The Holy Spirit is not a force. I like Star Wars, but it's not a force. It's not like you have this impersonal force of fate out there that's the Spirit that moves the world free. It's not force. It's also not magic. It's not like this super magical abracadabra power. It's also not mystical. Like, you know, it's just, I don't know how it happens, but it's just so it's mysterious, the spirit. It's not mystical. Uh, it's also not mythical. It's not fake. It's not some 
like, it's not like some analogy, like, well, the Spirit represents kind of like our better angels. No, the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, a person. And we believe in a triune God, which means one God, three persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, but they are all divine, unified up in the attributes of Holy God. So therefore, the Spirit is God's Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you once you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get 100% of God's Spirit inside of you when you are saved. And you can't ever lose Him or get any less or more of Him, right? He can get more of you, but once the Spirit is inside of you, you are a temple of the living God. That's why I was using this luxurious carpet illustration, because God put something in you better than new flooring. He put His Spirit in you. Wow, and if He would install that, how does my behavior need to change now that that's here? Now, based on the fact that the Spirit is living in you, God really wants you to live by the Spirit. There are many ways to live, and they're not all equal. In Romans 5.4, the Apostle Paul says we are to walk in newness of life. That means living life God's way. That means living life according to God's plan. Are you walking in newness of life? Are you living God's way? Are you living according to God's plan? Are you living with God's spirit in you? Or are you just existing? There's a difference. We know this in our culture. We're always finding ways to talk about living the life that really matters, right? We've got all these cliches in our culture. Like, I'm living the dream. And that can either mean that life is going really well or it's going very poorly. You know, like I was at the airport once and the security guy who was sitting there and his job all day long was to stamp passports, right? And I'm like, how you doing? He's like, living the dream. <laughs> he didn't mean it. He meant he was doing the opposite of that. So living the dream means you can feel like you're living, but you're not living. You're just you're living, right? This is something biblical. You could be living and not living. You can be alive and not alive. Hey, as pastors, we make a lot of hospital visits, and the best visits are going to hospitals when little new babies are born, and you get to see the joy of the parents and hold that little baby in your arm and pray for her, and, and they have such high hopes for that child, and you can be the Lord bless her and use her and make her into a godly woman, and there's such amazing thoughts about what this life is going to hold, and we also go to funerals at the end of life, and we hear people standing up and recounting what a person's life meant, and listen, between when you were born and your parents had all these dreams for you and when you're gone and who knows who's going to get up and say who knows what about you. You don't get to pick who gives your eulogy, right? You've got to figure out if you're really alive. Does your life count? Is it going to matter? Are you, are you living or are you missing it? Am I really making a difference and enjoying what God intended me to be? You know, in Palos Heights, they came up with a new slogan a few years ago. When you drive into Palos on the sign, what does it say? Come alive in Palos Heights. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. What does that mean? Am I supposed to die in Alsip? And then get, like, somebody paddles me in Palos? And then I did it! I came alive in Palos Heights. What do they mean? Do they mean, like, there's a hospital in Palos? Like, die and then go there and they'll bring you back? I did it! Check! I came alive in Palos. Of course they don't mean that. They mean, like... Something in Payless is going to make your life something that it isn't. Maybe it's the pool. I don't know. But we're supposed to, like, come alive in Payless. See, we're always talking about what it means to be alive, to live, to really, truly live, and to make it count. The Bible tells us that life 
is real life, new life, when you are walking by the Spirit. It's life with God's Spirit leading the way that is truly life, new life. That's what God has for you. In 1 Timothy 6.19, Paul talks about how Christians should live. He says this, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Meaning there are Christians who are missing it. You're not taking hold of true life. So live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Why? Everybody say why. See, the Bible sometimes gives us reasons because it knows we're stubborn. You know, why? Why do I live by the Spirit when I don't want to? Well, here's, you can write this reason down. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, because living by the flesh leads to death. Why do I need to let go of my sin? Why do I need to follow God's way? Why do I need to stop with this and that? Well, because leading, living by the flesh leads to death. It says in verse 12, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, what's the flesh? Well, first, the flesh describes your bodily appetites for sin. So you've got a body, it has desires, and your body, your mind, your emotions, your, your desires, your body finds sin strangely attractive. So you're drawn to it. The Bible just kind of sums that up as like the flesh, like your, your flesh, your body. And you desire sin. You desire too much of good things and more of bad than you should. That's the flesh. But the Bible also expands that and talks about the flesh as if it's almost like the conductor of the energy of sin. So that's why in some translations, like the NIV, it says your sinful nature. That's interpretive. That's not what the original says. They're kind of filling in that blank for you. But it's an accurate thought. When the flesh has the power of sin surging through it, it kind of becomes this conductor of, of sin, like a nature of sin going through you. But then the Bible also talks about the power plant of sin, and it calls that the flesh, kind of the kingdom or the realm or the domain or the source of it all. And it'll say you're under the flesh. So there's like this power plant of sin that then surges through the outlet of your heart and then it energizes your body to do wrong things. And all of that can be summarized as saying living in the flesh. Uh, when we were getting ready for new carpet, I, did, I swapped out some outlets downstairs. And I went to the box and turned off the circuits, the, the breakers that were connected to the downstairs, so it was dark. But I knew something was weird when it said, like, when I was looking for the right switches, one of them said, like, downstairs and dining room. And I'm like, how do those things go together? Anyway, so I turned them off. And then I swapped out. As I was doing one outlet, I felt a zap. Yeah, you know, and I was zapped. I was like, oh, what was that? But I thought maybe I stabbed myself with the wire. Anyway, got the outlet back in, went on to outlet number two. And I've got the tester. All right, for those of you who are like, is he doing it right? I test the outlet, and it gives me a little reading and says it's off. So then I went to outlet number two, tested it, pulled it out, and then it sparked. And a lamp went on and off. And I was like, whoa, this is not off. And I grabbed my handy tester again. And guess what? Then the tester told me the power was on. And I'm like, you're good for nothing. What, do you have a sense of humor telling me it's off and then telling me it's on? I should throw you in the trash. I don't have another one. So it sparked. Then I went back, and sure enough, I had missed one of the, it was dark, but the power was still flowing through these outlets. I was like, whoa. So. Now, now, imagine your heart is like that. The, the electricity of sin wants to just flow straight through it. And if you haven't shut that down, you're going to be a conductor of the ugly power of sin, and it's going to go through you. And, 
and it's going to hurt other people. So that's the flesh. And we really have to understand that the Bible says that if we have only always lived under the flesh, we've just lived life our way, God has never changed us, we're just the same and doing it our way, then we are in the flesh, which means we're unsaved. Sin is our master. And the Bible says that that leads to death, which means that eventually if we don't get off that road, it's going to dump us into hell. We're going to die eternally forever. That's where the flesh leads. But here's the thing. Christians, when we're saved and when we're given new life, we can also act in the flesh. We can also allow that energy of sin to come back on again. We can, we can allow some sin to really hurt us, and that's described as living in the flesh. Either way, when we live in the flesh, we're stuck. We're stuck with God and we're not moving forward. Check out this picture of a trucker who got stuck on his way to Target. See that? Yeah, he's not getting where he's going. Good luck getting that out of the lake, right? And when you get stuck in sin, you're going nowhere with God and you're not living the life he has planned for you. So live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Why? Well, because living by the flesh leads to death. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.3, For you are still, talking to this church, of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Christians, we can be in the flesh. We can, we can be in real carnal, bad places with each other. We can be in, in really bad, sinful places with God, and, and we're called out of that. So living by the flesh leads to death. Now, how do we do this? So everybody asked me how. So I just told you why. Live by the Spirit. Let's talk about how. Drop this down. By putting to death the deeds, the sins of the flesh. It says in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This answers the question how we live new lives. How can I be different? How can I truly take hold of the life that is truly life? By putting to death the sins of the flesh by the Spirit. Hey, are you battling the sins that try and take over you? I mean, are, is it a fight to the death when you know something is wrong? Or, or have you just lost the battle? Are you just flat on your back letting sin roll you over? Because God wants you to fight to the death, knowing that sin is trying to take you out. And maybe for you it's time to start creating winning spiritual habits. Maybe the defeat has gone on for so long God wants to transform you and to give you new victory, new power, new wisdom, new life. How do you do that? By putting to death the sins of the flesh. Hey, how are you doing at winning your battle with greed? Not being consumed with the love of money. Not, not needing to load your life with more junk. More, where am I going to put that? More junk. I need a better, you know, car than him. More, more more? How are you doing at winning your battle with greed? How are you doing at winning your battle with envy? Looking at what other people have, who other people are with. How are you doing at winning the battle with forgiveness? Releasing those who have wounded you in how you think and talk and act toward them because the Lord has forgiven you. How are you doing at forgiveness, at winning that battle? 
How are you doing at winning the battle of apathy and sloth and just self-indulgence and just making nothing of anything and serving no one but yourself and just more comfort for me and more leisure for me and more time for me and nothing for God and nothing for others? Are you winning that battle or are you losing it? How are you doing at the battle with anger, your vocabulary? Are you winning the battle with lying or are you losing the battle with lying? Because God says that sin is trying to take you out. And listen, this is a call to drastic, murderous action. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. I mean, taking it to the street and putting a bullet hole in its head. That's how we treat our sins, but we can't do it alone. We have to do it in the strength of the Lord. As pastors, we see many people who walk in victory. And we see many people who fall in defeat. And if there were some keys to victory that I would share with you, if you want new winning spiritual habits, if you want to enjoy lasting victory, there's a pattern. There's a pattern of how people live who walk in victory. Here at Harvest, when we make disciples, we say that we have three W's. Worship, walk, work. This is a good way to gauge how strong you are in the fight. First, how's your worship? I mean, are you in church, right? Are you here 52 Sundays a year? If you're healthy and you're in town, I'm going to sing to the Lord because if that drifts, if that weakens, if that fire goes out, then you're weaker. Do you worship? Are you fully engaged? I mean, are you here on time and really giving your all to the Lord and renewing your spirit? How's your worship? How's your walk? You and God personally, are you going places? Do you have spiritual goals? Are you reading in the Bible or memorizing scripture? What are your spiritual goals? And are you doing it in community? Do you have a small group? Is anyone holding you accountable? Anyone. If you sin big time this week, who's in your face? If the answer is no one, that means no one's holding you accountable. Walk. How are you doing at walking with Christ? In general, we've seen this rule, less community, less victory. And what about your work? Are you serving others? I mean, are you really expending yourself to help other people in this life? Or, or is it all about you? If you worship Christ, if you walk with Christ, if you work for Christ consistently, it's hard to knock that person down. Very hard. And if they get knocked down, they get up very fast. If you're not worshiping, if you're not walking, if you're not working, you're a sitting duck. We see those people fall all the time. All the time. And it's hard to get them back up because they don't have support. They don't have community. They don't have, they don't have discipline. They don't have regular routines. Now, when it comes to patterns of defeat, there are definitely some things that really take people out. I mean, first of all is pride, thinking that, you know, not me, I wouldn't fall. Or, you know, you're not telling me what to do. Pride, minimization. Well, my sins aren't that bad. They're trying to put shrinking powder on their sins. It's not as bad as you're saying, minimization and isolation. Step off. I don't want to talk to you about this. No one's going to talk to me about this. Isolation, pride, minimization, recipe for disaster spiritually. Hey, if you worship, walk, and work, you can put to death the sins of the flesh. Why? Well, write this down. Because living by the Spirit leads to life. Living by the Spirit leads to life. God's not up there saying, all right, time for the plan to take all the fun and joy out of her life. Send in the most boring man you can find to become her companion. Let's ruin her. You know, time for us to make him miserable. He's not taking your fun away. He's giving you life. Maybe it's time for you to 
Clean out the nonsense that the world has taught you. Sin is not more fun. Sin is not more safe. Sin is not more satisfying. You get this much pleasure from sin and then a lifetime worth of pain. It always overpromises and underdelivers. It's time to walk in the Spirit. Hey, number one, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, because living by the flesh leads to death, putting to death the sins of the flesh, because living by the Spirit leads to life. Jot this down, number two, act like a son, not a slave. Act like a son, not a slave. goes on in verse 14 to say, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. So act like a son, not a slave. How do I do this? Well, jot this down. You have to become a son of God through faith in Jesus. It describes here that the way to get on God's good side is not to behave yourself or follow his rules, but to get adopted. To get adopted. How did you get to know God? He adopted you. Why should God let you into heaven? Because he adopted you. How do you know that you're different from other people? Because God adopted you. We've had a lot of awesome adoption stories here in the church family. In our own family, my brother and sister-in-law adopted a child, and we just remember hearing the story of them going to Africa a bunch of times, coming back, you know, with their little daughter, and then she became a part of the family, and now many years later, it's like there's just so much joy in that and so much love in that, and adoption is amazing. There was another woman in our church from our small group who adopted a, a little girl, and, and our group was all at the airport when she got home with her daughter, and we were all holding up signs, and it's just so amazing, Right? And listen, that's the only way you get into God's family. Sometimes people say things like, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. No, you've been around Christians your whole life. When did God adopt you into his family? By faith in Jesus Christ, when did you become his child? Oh, well, I've always known God. Maybe you always knew about God. But if you've always known about God, you should know that the only way into his favor is to be adopted, which means he legally brings you in as his child and you have to be transferred into his family through faith in Christ. You also, therefore, are leaving the realm of sin. You're turning from sin and becoming a child of God. Before Jesus, there was enmity, rebellion, hostility, condemnation. After Christ, there's peace, reconciliation, adoption, and security. And there's too many people who think they're just going to barge into heaven as if they're family when they're not. You've never been adopted and you think God's just going to take you in. Listen, try that with your neighbor. Just go home today and walk into somebody's house and go to the fridge and open it up. and Be like, Mom, when's lunch? Just insert yourself in someone else's family where you don't belong. And then I'll come visit you in the jail. If you're still alive. All right? Because you just can't do that. You just can't be like, hey, Pops, how you doing? I'm here. You can't do that. And when I ask people how they're getting to heaven, all the time people are like, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Are you family? I've done life the way I think it should be lived. Are you family? I haven't done any of the biggest sin. Are you family? Because if you just stroll in like you belong there, you're going to be asked to leave. Because you don't. When has God adopted you into his family? Become a son of God through faith in Jesus. And theologically, here's what happened. The father has entrusted everything to his only firstborn son. Jesus is the only natural child God ever had. Eternally, they're bound up in love. Nothing ever separated that. 
you need to be adopted in. You become a child differently, and then Christ shares what's his with you. This is so huge for you to understand. It's not yours. Heaven is not yours. It's his. Heaven is not a banquet in your honor. It's not anything you get to make it. I'm going to imagine a red house. It's not yours. This world is not a banquet in your honor. You were made to bring glory to another. And therefore, you're walking up to the gates of someone else's kingdom. And why would he let you in? Because the son shares his inheritance with you. When, when you were growing up, didn't you, kind of, didn't you kind of resent, right, when people had things they didn't earn? That's what we do, though. We become sons of God through faith in Jesus. Jot this down. Move on from fear and slavery. Move on from fear and slavery. Reading on here, it says in verse 14, 15, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So no longer fear, no longer slavery, no longer bondage to sin, no longer proud of our best efforts. Hey, are you moving on from fear and slavery? Now we, we learned last week that a lot of what the Apostle Paul is worried about is that some Jews in the congregation were still trying to please God using the Ten Commandments. Well, I like Moses. I like Moses a lot. I like Jesus too, but I like Moses. So I'm going to do my Old Testament and God's going to be happy with me. No. No, the rules are not your pathway to, to earning God's favor. It's your relationship with Christ. Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm still going to do all the rules. No, no. They were living in fear. They were living a ritualistic faith. And they were trying to use the rules to please God. And Paul's like, that's not how it ever worked. You've got to stop that. And let me just ask you this. Is your religion primarily fear-based? Do you do the church stuff because you're afraid of parents or God? Oh, I gotta, gotta go. Is it fear-based? Is it external for appearances? I'll go to small group. My wife wants me to. Fear-based, guilt-based, external. Fine, I'll go to church. Check. Do you read your Bible or pray out of obligation? Did it. Check. Did it. Had to do it. Fine. I mean, is it slavery and bondage? And then after you do it, are you kind of proud? I read my Bible. I went to small group. I went to church. Is it like performance? Like you get a badge and you kind of show that off? That's slavery. That's fear. That's guilt. That's performance. And that's everything that Jesus came to get rid of. Listen. Christians don't follow the rules to earn God's love. Christians follow the rules to enjoy God's love. That's why we obey. That's why we're more careful. That's why we're different from our... Listen, high schoolers, don't follow the rules to earn God's love. Follow the rules to enjoy God's love. Enjoy His way. Don't go down the broad way that leads to destruction. Be different because... It's all about life. Listen, do you know that you can worship in the flesh for everyone to see you? 
for everyone to know you're doing it, for your glory and applause. Do you know you can worship in the flesh? Do you know you can walk with God in the flesh, fearful duty, bragging about your spirituality? When we were getting ready to launch the church, I mean, we were all hands on deck. We just had to do everything to launch the church. And so we had this rally to promote, promote it, and we put somebody at the door as a greeter. Just go shake hands and tell people you're glad they're here. And afterward, this guy gave us a five-paragraph email. How dare you just make me a greeter? Do you know I've been a deacon and an elder, and I've been on this many mission trips, and now I'm just saying hi to people. I'm capable of so much more. He was mad that we didn't bring him up on stage. Yeah, so he gone. He's not around anymore. We had a little conversation about humility, what it means to serve Christ. See, but if he didn't get the applause, another guy was like, oh, I'll only join if I could be on the worship team. And, and that, along with the fact that somehow he smelled like marijuana, made it that he didn't make it on the launch team. He gone. He gone. <laughs> he gone. I mean... This idea of I'm just going to do it for me, I'm going to worship for me, I'm going to walk with Christ so that people know that I do it. And then, oh, serving, oh, oh, yes, I'll join that team, and now oh, I'm the hardest worker on this team. No one on the hospitality team serves like me, and no one thanks me. No one thanks me. That's just such a bad attitude, right? To do it for you, to do it for recognition, you could worship and walk and work in the flesh. And we're called to so much more than that. Act like a son, not a slave. Become a son through faith in Jesus and then move on from fear and slavery and pride and guilt and shame and, and all of the wrong reasons for doing this. Hey, number one, live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Number two, act like a son, not a slave. Number three, believe the promises about your future. So in verse 16... It says this, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now this is actually a preview of next week's sermon where we talk about pain. But we're supposed to believe the promises about our future. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, John the Apostle says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Forever. The future of your faith should motivate you to walk humbly with your God in this life and to not be captive to what the world is holding out. Believe the promises about your future. Jot this down. We're heirs with Christ. Heirs with Christ. I touched on this a second ago, but let me camp on this for a second. The only way you will enter heaven is if you inherit a fortune. How did you get here? My father is loaded, and he spoiled me to death. How did you get here? Same way. There's going to be nobody there who's like, I worked my tail off on the hospitality team and God finally gave me my reward. No one earns it. You're given 
an inheritance by your filthy rich father. We didn't like people like this in life who inherit a fortune, right? Oh, daddy did well, huh? Now you got all the money in the world. When I was a kid growing up, I watched the show Silver Spoons. How many of you watched the show Silver Spoons? Here's a picture of like just the, you know, the, this kid as a rich dad. And he just shows up one day and then he's got all these toys. Here's the next picture. He's got his own personal train. He just rides around the mansion. And over on the side there, you see video games. He's got a whole video game systems in his living room. And I was like, who does that kid think he is? Some of us have to earn money to buy our Nintendo Entertainment System or Game Boy that came in two colors, black and mustard, right? Or our TurboGrafx 16, and that's 16 bits of graphics. We got to work and earn. We got to mow lawns for this stuff. And he just shows up and he's rich because his dad's rich. We didn't like those people. Hey, listen, the only way you're getting into heaven is if you are one of those people. You inherit a kingdom. Now, an inheritance is a, a humiliating thing because you didn't earn it. How'd you get it? I was related to someone who died and it became mine. That's the way you get to heaven. We are heirs with Christ. But theologically what happened was the father gave it to the son, and it's his, not yours, and he shares it with you. You're going to walk into your mansion and be like, where'd this come from? Somebody shared. I talked before about how Lauren and I really love to mooch when it comes to vacation, which means we uh, are offered the ability through family members to use their places at little or no cost. And I'm like, yes. We get to go there, and it's theirs, not ours, but we just get to mooch. Lauren doesn't like the word mooch. She's like, well, just say like that we enjoy their generosity. Okay, so we enjoy their generosity <laughs> for free. <laughs> and I love that. When, you know, when it's like, okay, we get to go to this place and enjoy it, and it's not ours, it's theirs, and they're bearing some of the cost, and we just get to be there. Listen, heaven is mooching. All right? You're just there because of someone else's generosity for eternity. You're not going to show up and be like, look at all my badges. I've earned my way here. No. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. On your best day, filthy rags. God, your father, is filthy rich, and he will spoil you to death. That's your plan. That's your, I'm an heir. Share your faith that way. Yeah, I'm an heir. I'm going to inherit a fortune from my filthy rich father. What? Let me explain. And then tell him the gospel. How are you going to get into heaven? Well, the only son of God, Jesus, is going to share his kingdom with me. How are you going to get in? I'm a good person. Nope, that won't work. And you have to be a child of God. You have to be adopted into the family to be legally entitled to the eternal kingdom. Just know that we're going to be there because he loves us, not because we've impressed him. That should really settle your heart. That, that should really motivate you to obey him. More than the rules. Well, there's rules. No, he, look at what he did for you. That's why I'm going to do what's right. We're heirs with Christ. Jot this down. Therefore, we'll suffer with Christ for his glory. It says here in verse 17, if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I like that. Then it has to go on to be like, provided we suffer with him. What? <laughs> I'm a filthy, rich, spoiled child of God who's going to be in heaven forever, and I'm going to suffer? Why would my father do that to me? In order that we may also be glorified with him. We'll learn next week, but there are great trials and treasures that come from tribulation. F.F. Bruce said this, suffering is the indispensable prelude to glory. Meaning if you won't suffer with him, he's not your Lord. Romans 5, 3-5 says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. 
Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Next week, let's make it bring a friend Sunday, but bring a friend who's in pain. How's that? Don't bring the friend who all their dreams are coming true. Blech. No, leave that friend alone. Bring the friend like a house just fell on this person. I mean, they're just going through the fire. Bring a friend who's miserable and then just be like, hey, it's bring a miserable friend Sunday. You want to come with me to church? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you're miserable. Let's bring a miserable friend Sunday. So come with me. I need a miserable friend. Let's bring people who are in pain and tell them about what Jesus has for them. Hey, do you want to live the Spirit-led life? Live by the Spirit, not the flesh. Act like a son, not a slave. Believe the promises about your future. Let's process all of this in prayer as we close out the service together. Let's pray.